I know going back a couple of months ago, we, we spoke in depth about menopause because, of course, it was menopause month at the time. But there are other aspects to it. And our guest was so popular at the time and before that as well that we've invited her back again. And Dr. Quiva Hartley joins me on the line. Good afternoon to you, Quiva. Hi, Niall. How are you doing? Uh, now, Quiva, by the way, who is uh, from Menopause Health and, believe me, an absolute and utter expert. Now, Quiva, the reason we want to talk to you today was because the last time you were on, we talked about estrogen and estrogen and how important that was for a woman, particularly during uh, perimenopause, menopause and postmenopause. But the other thing that has come to light, of course, as well is, and something that's maybe not talked about as much, is uh, the symptoms that women might have in the lack of fertility, sex drive, red blood cell production, uh, muscle mass, tiredness, or this, you know, no energy whatsoever. This could be related to testosterone. And as we know, a woman's testosterone levels naturally change throughout their life. Uh, but particularly during menopause, they can drop to an all-time low. There, there's a whole, I suppose, there's a whole controversy about testosterone for women. Uh, and I only listened to Dr. What's his name? He's on GMB in the mornings. I can't remember his name. But he was basically telling us that it's an absolute that women should be, even though it's off license. Um, should they be prescribed? So that's, a, that's a controversial way to, <laughs> to start. Um, <laughs> And a really difficult question to answer. But um, if you pair it back to kind of where you started there, you're absolutely right. The women make um, lots of testosterone, actually. And pre-menopausally, we're still having periods and everything is kind of hunky-dory and you're ovulating once a month. We all make tons of testosterone. In fact, we probably make more testosterone than we do estrogen, but not nearly as much as men would make. So it is a really important hormone for women. And it's important for lots of different things, for the development of our reproductive biology and anatomy, the development of our... Um, emotional health or skeletal health, all that stuff that you mentioned is really important. What's interesting about testosterone, though, if you look at how it changes over our lifetime, unlike estrogen, so when you get to menopause, your estrogen really plummets and then you stop producing estrogen at all from your ovaries. But testosterone, which is also produced in quite a large amount from your ovaries, it falls at a much um, steadier sort of decline. So really from our mid-30s, the testosterone levels are falling. When you get to menopause, whenever that happens, they don't, they don't fall any faster. They just keep falling at the same rate. And most of the research in Australia that's looked at this has shown that our testosterone levels fall just gradually from our mid-30s or so on um, until we get to somewhere, somewhere in our mid to late 60s. And then a few of the studies have suggested actually that our testosterone levels go up and nobody seems to know why, which is really interesting. Well, well when you get to 60 or 70... Mid 60s, maybe early yeah. 70s. Yeah, seems not to really rise sure again. Why. Okay, All exactly. Right. Yeah, the exception to this, I suppose, women who've had their ovaries removed or who've had a very early menopause, they might have a more dramatic fall in their testosterone production. You do make testosterone from other parts of you, from your adrenal glands that sit on top of your kidneys, and from peripheral tissue, so like fatty tissue in other parts of our bodies. So you're not totally reliant on your ovaries. And is but, there supplements that, that, that people can take? I know men can take supplements for testosterone, but is there, like magnesium, zinc, et cetera, et cetera. Are there supplements that, people, that women can take safely as well? There's no supplements that are going to replace testosterone in your, in your body. Certainly not as a woman anyway, but we do have testosterone on prescription. And you had mentioned this earlier. You're absolutely right that it's not licensed in Ireland, which is really frustrating. And I don't think it's licensed anywhere, is it really, at this stage? So uh, off, what they call off-label. Uh, there is a license for one type of testosterone in the UK and in Australia. But you're right, there's no license here. So we use these products off-license and we, and we tell women that. But we're backed up by a lot of research and data that has looked at using these products. Typically, if we're prescribing testosterone, it comes as a gel. So we like to do it just like estrogen. We'd like to do it through your skin, not as a tablet 
or um, there's actually implants you can get and some men get for testosterone. So for women, it's generally through their skin. It's generally in the form of a gel. And that's something that they might apply once a day um, or a couple, a couple times a week, something like that, depending on the person. And then we usually follow them up with blood tests just to see what impact that has had on their circulating testosterone Was I reading cor- correctly when they say in relation to the implants or the pellets, as they're called, yes. um, that yeah. the reason they don't recommend those is because if you have a reaction or a side effect that you can't actually stop it, you have to go to the trouble of having it removed again. Whereas at least with the, the gel, you can, you know, if you have a side effect or a reaction, you can just stop. Uh, yeah, and they'll also, they'll give you a, a, what's called a supra-physiological response. So they'll give women with, with testosterone pellets would end up with far too much testosterone in their system. And we wouldn't then, like you said, have control over that. We'd have to then go and remove the implant or pellet or whatever. And it's really important that we don't push women out of a normal female range of testosterone. Because there's quite, you know, there's some side effects that can happen with that that we want to be conscious of. Yeah. Okay. So in other words, once you keep within the range, the side effects shouldn't happen. That's it, exactly, yeah. Okay, and, and uh, the women's range is what? Roughly 10% of what met would be recommended for men, I suppose. That, that, yeah. Would that be better? Yeah. So, yeah, so, so that would be what's prescribed. So like a sachet of gel that a man might use a full sachet once a day, we would prescribe a tenth of a sachet once a day. And we do actually, we make our own natural circulation testosterone is about 10% of what a man's would be on average. Okay. The problem with measuring testosterone is it's really inaccurate. We do these blood tests that can be very difficult to really rely on them completely um, and all the labs will have slightly different ranges so there's a lot of nuance to it um, so you just have to be careful so I suppose what you're really relying on is the feedback you get from the woman about how she feels and uh, how her body feels and if she has any side effects etc so you're relying on that feedback I suppose more so yeah that's the crux of it actually and I think there's been so much talk about the importance of testosterone and, and kind of a message almost that everyone should be on testosterone but that's not the case and we certainly wouldn't think that every woman should be on testosterone um, and, you know, the evidence is lacking that it's any good for things like mood and mental health and energy and, and you know, um, muscle strength and different things like that. It may be good for those things, but we don't have really good research to back that up. Is, a lot of is that why it's off license at the moment? Because the research isn't just there to back it up. And is it just that we don't seem to care as much about women's health as we do about men? Because I'm absolutely sure if it was about men, we'd find out quite very quickly whether it's good for us or not. That's true for lots of things, isn't it? I hope that's <laughs> yeah. not true in this case. I'm sure it's more complicated than that, but there, there is ongoing research. But at the moment, I think it's really careful that we advise women that at the moment, the guidelines for prescribing testosterone, what, you know, what we know it's good for is low libido. So it's really good for helping um, um, satisfaction with sex, sexual desire, low libido. Okay. Not for everyone, but for, but for some people who need it. And whether it's good for those other symptoms, I definitely have women who come back and say, look, I feel much better. My mood is better. My energy is better. I just can't sit here and recommend that someone takes testosterone for that specific reason because I can't back that up. I know, okay. I, I've, I've read numerous bits and pieces about it knowing that you were coming on today and some articles say, yes, it does help with energy and it does help with it. Other confusing, ones say, isn't yeah, it? Say, it is very confusing, to be honest <laughs> yeah. with you. Now, well, look, we have lots of questions as usual when you come on because uh, you're such a popular guest on the show and I really appreciate you coming on. And it says, hi, Niall, I was put on uh, tamoxifen uh, after I was diagnosed with breast cancer age 35. That was uh, estrogen, uh, estrogen. And then after 10 years, I was taken off it because it might do more damage than good. I went through the menopause and I'm still going through it. Anything that would help would be brilliant. Uh, the side effects, not just physical, but mental as well. I, you would yeah. understand that better than me. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, so, so this patient sounds like she had estrogen receptor positive breast cancer and often um, uh, 
patients in that situation would be given a medication called tamoxifen. And what tamoxifen is going to do is block the action of estrogen or its ability to have an impact on certain different tissues in your body, in particular the breast. So it blocks the breast tissue from being exposed to estrogen, which is a good thing if, if you want to reduce the risk of recurrence of breast cancer. Um, the problem is it can, it can mimic a lot of menopausal symptoms because you might be still making the estrogen, but it's not able to have much of an effect. It's like having no estrogen. And that's a bit like being in menopause, but it's an awful lot more severe. Mm. Lots of women, and I suppose it comes after what can be a very stressful diagnosis and other, you know, treatments that can that can make you feel not great as well. Yeah. Um, so for this particular lady, you know, there are definitely options out there. We actually have very good non-hormonal options for managing a lot of menopausal symptoms. It depends what the symptoms are. That would take a big kind of discussion to go through that and tease through that. Um, a lot of women get very um, very bad vaginal symptoms if they've been on tamoxifen. They can dryness and painful sex, and we've loads of options to treat them too. So really important that she speaks to someone and explores okay. all those options. Is hypertension common in menopause, is somebody? Is hypertension common? So hypertension is high blood pressure, and it can be common with aging, and we're all, unfortunately, going the one direction with our age. And yep. as we age, yeah, absolutely, blood pressure becomes more common. A lot of it is to do with genetics so i think a lot of whether someone develops hypertension or not is actually genetically conferred but lifestyle as well you know if you smoke if you don't smoke how active you are that kind of thing yeah. the shift of hormones at menopause it's hard to know how much of that actually impacts the development of hypertension but if it did it would probably take a few years so it wouldn't be something we'd see you know you don't wake up on your 50th birthday your periods have stopped and now you've got blood pressure it would take probably five or ten years for that to actually if it was all hormonal to actually show itself Somebody else says, uh, re-menopause, I am 56, I've been in menopause for the last uh, nine years. Uh, that's a long time, is it? Maybe, I don't know, maybe it's not a long time. I'm on uh, Everall Conte patches. Do you know what they mm-hmm. are? Okay. I do. Uh, but sweats are non-stop, day and night. What can I do? I'm very active, not overweight. I'm just dem- uh, demented. Uh, sleep isn't great either. So I think I'd be demented too if I was having hot flushes for that length of time and not sleeping, but... So Everol Conti is a fixed patch, so it's a, it's a combination of an estrogen through your skin and then a second hormone, progestin, which we use to protect the lining of your womb when you're on estrogen. The, and Everol Conti is a really convenient patch. It's all built into one, and women love it. Um, the only issue we have sometimes is if someone needs a higher dose of estrogen, and I suspect this lady might need a higher dose. Um, there isn't another dose of Everol Conti. It just comes as the one fixed dose. So she may end up talking to someone about taking her estrogen through her skin as a higher dose, and then having to take her progestin separately as a capsule or tablet or whatever it might be. Also, by the way, in relation to the estrogen that we spoke about the last time, the estrogel, if, say, somebody get, is recommended by a doctor to use estrogel and they're not noticing any difference or things aren't getting any better, is it wise then to go back to the doctor and say, should I up the game and should I do two rubs or three rubs or whatever it is? I mean, is that the way it works? <laughs> You've all the lingo now. <laughs> I love it. Um, um, no, definitely. So if we prescribe somebody a new medication like estrogel or if we're changing their prescription, we'll often bring them back within three months. Um, to assess how they're getting on and to modify things and tweak if they need to. So you should go back to someone. If someone's not having a response to estrogen, it's one of two things. You're on the wrong dose or the wrong route, or it's not something else going on. And you always have to have that in the back of your head. You know, sometimes things aren't estrogen-related or aren't menopause-related, and it's worth mm. 
you know, talking yeah. through that as well. Okay, menopause question. Somebody else says, I- I've had a total hysterectomy 12 years ago. I'm now 56 years of age. I've no menopause symptoms, even though I, uh, I have my ovaries. My mother never had symptoms either. I've had, I have no idea uh, when I went through it, as I assume I have because of my age. Can you advise? So if you don't know you've gone through the menopause, that's great, isn't it? If you don't know you've gone through the menopause and you've had no symptoms, is it just assumed that you have? Kind of, yeah. Like, and that's a really good sign, I'd imagine, if she wasn't getting symptoms. Women who have a, a coil, so an intrauterine device, um, which a lot of women use for birth control or to stop heavy periods, heavy bleeding, they'll often not know because their periods might stop with the coil and then they don't know when they've sort of passed that mark, if you like. Yeah. And the same for someone who's had a hysterectomy. So her ovaries would have been doing whatever they were going to do in the background all of this time and, and then presumably came to a point where they maybe stopped producing estrogen and if she's not symptomatic she doesn't need to do anything else like we do tell everyone look be conscious of your vitamin d your dietary calcium exercise weight bearing exercise all the things you can do to promote your own bone health and heart health and things but i wouldn't be prescribing hrt for someone who isn't getting very bad symptoms or isn't symptomatic at all no just can't just have lucky i suppose is that, is that really it? yeah and like you know if pinning down when someone has actually become menopausal and their estrogen production has stopped it doesn't matter if she's well she's well she just yeah. needs to be conscious of those other long-term health aspects okay a couple more questions i know you have to go in a few minutes and menopause <laughs> is there is there any good supplement somebody wants to know to take for hormone balance mood bloating etc perimenopause oh um no there's no specific supplement that i would recommend i think all the lifestyle stuff like exercise and you know um a healthy kind of well-rounded diet so mediterranean diet um all of those kind of i mean there's no point in me telling people people know this they know you know Bodies. about alcohol and caffeine yeah everyone yeah. knows this stuff so be conscious of that but and vitamin d i suppose is the only supplement that we would recommend for most people in ireland but yeah um, but there's no other over-the-counter supplements that's, that's just because the lack of sunshine isn't it I suppose, for yeah. everyone yeah, yeah basically yeah, yeah. And whatever latitude we're on i think and genetics and stuff we're yeah or, or spend a week. month in spain every year that'll be, that'll be a better idea yeah. somebody says, see, if you're putting on your spf though when you're in spain which you should be doing then you're still going to be vitamin d deficient so well, you might need a supplement Absolutely. Can you ask uh, the doctor, Femitab HR, does it interfere with fibroids? And what helps to reduce the back pain? I've got all scans done, pelvis, uh, a lot done, and they can't see mass either either other areas of womb. I'm not too sure exactly what that means, but I think you might have a better idea. So I'll read it again. Can you ask, doctor, uh, Femitab HR, does it interfere with fibroids? And what helps to reduce the back pain? Yeah, so fibroids are a benign growth that happens in usually inside the womb from the, the one of the various layers of the inside of the womb. Mm-hmm. And one of the big problems we have with fibroids is that they can increase bleeding. And the other problem, if they get really big, they can have a local pressure effect. They can push on your bladder or they can make your womb feel like you're like it's being prolapsed or dragging down. They can give you back pain. It depends on where they are in your womb. And the first of words, if you like, is estrogen. So the more estrogen you have, if you're not making a lot of your own progestogen, which we make when we ovulate, so if someone who is perimenopausal and they're not making progestogen, but they're making a ton of estrogen, that's going to encourage that fibroid to grow mm-hmm. and get larger and your symptoms can get worse. With HRT, and now Femitab is estrogen on its own. I presume this person is on both estrogen and progestin. So with HRT, that's what we do. We give you estrogen to help with some of the other symptoms and the progestin, its job is to hopefully protect things like fibroids and the lining of your womb from being stimulated by that estrogen but it is a fine balance 
um, and it's not perfect, um, but it is very case by case. It depends on where it is and, and how big it is. And I just mentioned if you already have uh, the, co- the the marina coil or whatever coil it happens to be, that's, that's provi- projection. That's the yeah. projection. Okay, that provides exactly, that, yeah. so you don't need that. Well, listen, it's been wonderful again talking to you, and I'm sure we will talk again very soon. And thank you very much indeed for answering all the listeners' questions. And of course, the most important thing that we always say after you're on is don't suffer in silence. And sadly, so many doctors. Uh, don't understand menopause the way you do and maybe you just women walk out the door feeling just as confused as they were when they walked in and they don't get recommended anything so I would advise people to go to somebody or a doctor that knows about menopause because then you're going to get the right advice uh, that would be fair to say and I don't want to put doctors down either Quiva, by saying that but you know I'm just saying some just don't know enough I imagine well you can't be Perfect at everything, I well, suppose. This, so, <laughs> <laughs> Look, if you want to go to Quiva's website, you can menopausehealth.ie. If you want more advice and you want to get informed advice and you want to get personal advice in relation to your particular problem, menopausehealth.ie is the website. Listen, Quiva, thank you very much indeed. It's been wonderful talking to you as usual. Not at all. Great stuff. Thanks, Niall. See you, bye. There you go. Bye. Quiva Hartley, what an expert. It's good to have people who actually know what they're talking about, don't you?